You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the I Dig It Podcast. A podcast where we talk about the student perspective of navigating the world of archaeology and anthropology. I'm your host, Michaela. And I'm your host, Alyssa. Hi there. Hey. How's it going? I'm all right. (laughs) How's it going? (laughs) Oh, you know. I actually feel like I haven't talked to you in like a whole week, though. Yeah. How does it feel to be done with your first term? Um, it feels good to not be in classes, but I still have a 15 page paper to write, um, before the fifth. So technically I'm dragging it out longer than I have to. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you have until the fifth, you got a while. Other than that, it feels good. Yeah. That's good. Starting to get stressed out again. So. Because of the paper. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure I'll do it soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, after this week of a holiday, you'll have a whole other week. So I believe in you. Thank you. Yeah. It'll get done. I don't know how, but it'll get done. (laughs) It always does. It always ends up happening, (laughs) whether I remember it or not. Yep. (laughs) And Matt, so my last paper I wrote was the master's dissertation, which was (laughs) two years ago or whatever. And we didn't really start, or I didn't start writing that until like uh, May, mm-hmm. and then it was like eighty pages by June. No, mm-hmm. no, September. When was the due date? Yeah. I don't remember. September. September. September fifth. No sixth. Like doing September sixth. All the research and everything. I guess that's a decent amount of time. People have to write more in less time sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, that was my last paper, so. Dang. That's yeah. been a minute. It's been a been a minute. I need <laughs> to remember how to research things. <laughs> how does one write? How to. H-E-L-P. <laughs> yes. It's just like the Spongebob's the. Oh my God. I totally felt that while doing my dissertation. I'd be like staring at a page and then I had this like brain blast and I'm writing it down and it's like a sentence (laughs) after like two hours. Yeah. It's one of those things where you sit in the library for eight hours and you get like three sentences. (laughs) You're like, well, that was productive. Productive day. Time to go. (laughs) Because you're trying to work through a writer's block while you're trying to work on a dissertation. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to take myself to the library. (laughs) I'm going to take myself anywhere. Even if I don't do anything, it'll help in some way. Also, trying to like focus on one topic for that long is so hard for me. (laughs) It's, it's, I don't. I got a 10 track brain. One track (laughs) is too much for me. I think that's why I started like working on different parts of the project at the same time. And then being in a virtual world itself, like that was really helpful. You're lucky you got to play video games for your dissertation. That's why I did it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I saw, I mean, I can barely go on VR anymore right now because I just like get the work flashback. So I get like anxiety Mm. when I go in. And then just the whole like setup thing because it's like I have the 
older Oculus Rift, which has like the stands and the, not the stands, but the sensors that you have to set up and like mm-hmm. have the whole space. But the newer Oculus is Oculi, <laughs> Oculus. <laughs> um, they, you don't have to have the sensors. And I'm just like, I'm on That's crazy. Yeah. Future. So quick to change yeah speaking of vr um mm-hmm. ready player two is out and i just bought I it and i'm excited to read it i know i mean i yeah i really liked the book and then i like watched the movie i didn't like the movie i didn't like the movie <laughs> not at all I, they, I think they put too much emphasis on the romance which they would also just every single task was different they tried to make it too modern and i think that was not the way to do it because like the nostalgia of ready player one was that it was very like 80s based like all nostalgic 80s games Mm -hmm. like oh this is so retro they just completely cut out everything 80s like in the movie yeah I'm excited to read the second book, though. Yeah, me too. <laughs> let's let's see how let's see how Klein writes his female protagonist now. Oh, is that how it is? <laughs> well, I don't know, it's female protagonist, but I mean, like in the other book, Ready Player One, just the way that he would write women was not the best. Mm. So, I guess the movie did that better. the The female protagonist in the movie was pretty active. I don't remember that much. Yeah, we'll have to reread. Yeah. Maybe I'll yeah. speed read before we get into the second book. Yeah. All right. I got to get that. And then speaking of VR. Related to VR. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're doing part two of Michaela's VR series. So, Woo. so she'll take the lead now. Good yeah, luck. What's up? <laughs> My name's Michaela and um, I like video games. <laughs> um, <laughs> My name's Michaela. <laughs> Is it though? Yeah, okay. I don't know. Um, so for this episode for VR Archaeology Part 2, I'll be talking about some other stuff that I started to touch on in the first part and kind of elaborate more into it in this part. In the first part of VR Archaeology, I was going more into the virtual reality and the integration into archaeology and kind of like when it first came about and kind of showing or giving different examples and definitions of what virtual reality is and some of the first VR experiences and headsets and machinery. And then I went into VR archaeology with games and museum experiences and how we think it flows as an experience with archaeology. So for this episode, I'm going to go more into different universities and programs that go into VR archaeology and just seeing the potential in it and how it can be used more frequently in the coming future. So there are different universities kind of around the world that that delve into VR with archaeology. And just there's Duke University, University of Illinois, University of York, University of Edinburgh. There was a virtual reality experience from the University of Illinois that was published on the Ancient Origins website. I don't know why I said origins weird. Origins. 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 No. (laughs) You silly. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) So anyway, ancient origins, reconstructing the story of humanity's past. And 
I came across this because I was looking up the website, the university's website for their VR experience. In February 2020, they published this article, Virtual Reality Game Redefines Archaeology Education. And it kind of goes into the ability of being able to explore an archaeological site without going to the site in person, which is something I was starting to talk about in the first part of the archaeology. Because with the archaeology, you really only need your headset. You can stay in your chair. There's different ways to be able to maneuver yourself around the site, or I should just say experience in VR. Move around VR without using a lot of mobility. And I think that's really cool and important. There's different vernacular that's pretty ableist within archaeology. I remember during our master's program, there was this little bit of controversy on controversy on Twitter about just a vernacular and it was about field walking and how it was a pastime tradition for archaeologists. All archaeologists should do this or all archaeologists to be an archaeologist you have to participate in this field walk. And that's not necessarily what was said in the Twitter post, but it was going going along those lines where it being like, oh, to be an archaeologist, you got to do these field walks. And so people were commenting saying that was pretty ableist. And just because you're an archaeologist doesn't mean you have to do a field walk. But it was more of just like, hey, this is just something like this, I, that I do with my first year students. And we just go on this walk. Like, that's the tradition of it. Like, I just do this every year with my first year students. Doesn't mean you have to be an archaeologist or not. This is the tradition that that I just do. And I was so excited for this. And so I can see both sides of that coin because on one hand, he wasn't intentionally trying to single people out and be ableist. But in the meantime, the words that was chosen for that tweet was a bit demeaning. I remember this. This was like a, a big thing. Yeah. It was a bit demeaning for... People who aren't able to go on these walks. And so people started tweeting, retweeting, commenting, subtweeting about this interaction. And that kind of got me thinking more about what it means to be an archaeologist. Because in order to be an archaeologist, you have to go on these field work. These field work? You have to participate in a field school, do field work, be in the field I mean, I understand because you want to be able to have the experience and the experience is so important, but spending 500 to $5,000 that you may or may not have and may not have the means to obtain a scholarship because there's thousands of other students trying to apply to these scholarships. There's a privilege to being able to go on a field school overall. If you're wanting to work in a different country, how are you going to get to the country? It's easier and less expensive to do something near you, but for somebody who's dreaming of working in China and having to spend $5,000 that they may or may not have and may or may not be able to get or not have the means physically to get there. It's quite difficult. (laughs) Yes. So with the virtual reality experience for the University of Illinois, designed by the professors and computer science graduates, they're allowing that the course which is their Anthropology 399, a course designated to bring the archaeological field school experience to the undergraduate students who never leave campus. It gives students a chance to be able to get this field 
experience without needing to take off time from work, from school. The anthropology professor at the University of Illinois, Laura Shackelford, said field school is a requirement for most archaeological programs across the country, but traveling to a field school site can cost anywhere from 500 to 5000 Dr. Shackelford led the development of a class at the University of Illinois' education policy organization. There was leadership from other professors and graduate students to help create this experience back starting in 2018. They have a website called Archaeology. And on the main homepage, it says, what is archaeology? It is on the left, and then it is not on the right. I'm just going to share what it is. It is a semester-long course to introduce field and lab methods. It's a controlled teaching environment, a way to introduce archaeology to a new audience, and an active immersion environment. Immersive environment, sorry. It is not a replacement for a field school, a complete lesson in methods for majors or graduate students, a standalone game, and a passive experience. What I thought was interesting has, is how on the website it says it is not a replacement for field school, whereas in the article it says that it is a replacement for field school, but it's only at the university. So when you are looking at a job, per se, and it wants a field school experience, you can't list the class that you took, which is fine. <laughs> but that's just... I don't know. I think I think that can change. I think having this sort of work digitally will be able to coincide with doing it in reality. Just virtually. It's virtual reality, right? Anyway, with their work, they created a game-based virtual reality experience for a cave modeled in part on a real cave that was excavated in the 1930s. It contains both ancient and more recent human artifacts, all of which are accessible to students who dig in the right place. The students learn the archaeological techniques required in any excavation. They set up a research grid on the cave floor and systematically locate and record any artifacts they find on the surface. They draw a map with all the surface details and then decide where to excavate. They take photos of special features or finds. They dig. They collect artifacts. They conduct laboratory analysis. They keep track of their progress in a field notebook. And that's their experience. What I'm wondering is how this how this experience works in the classroom setting, though. How beneficial is it? Are students learning anything out of it? Would they rather have the f- real experience in real life or the virtual experience? I mean, I'm thinking about it like, I guess in some high schools, they have to dissect a frog, or something. They have to dissect something in their biology course. And I remember seeing something that if you didn't want to actually dissect the frog, you can do it virtually, which takes place of the of doing it with your with your physical hands. You just do it on a digital tablet. I hated dissecting things. Me too. Oh, I bet you were the worst at dissecting things. You get so sad. <laughs> Yeah, I remember like I had to dissect something eighth grade and junior high and it was a sheep's heart. And I, I was like the, at the point where I was trying to be like super cool and stuff like that just to myself and being like, oh, I'm so tough. But inside I was so sad. I used to try so hard to be so tough on the outside. Because <laughs> on the inside I was so weak. Same. And I just wanted to be cool like my brothers because my brother that's three years older than me, he's very much like, he could dissect anything. <laughs> he could you could dissect himself. <laughs> and he would be still fine. 
yeah, he was, he's like tougher than nails and I wanted to be like that too. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, Michaela, why would you do that <laughs> to yourself? But look at me now. I cry over roadkill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just so sad. Oh, I'm going to start tearing up again. Oh my God. Anyway. <laughs> oh my God. But that's what the, the virtual reality experience for this university, for this course, is kind of reminding me of just the ability to do something virtually. And you're still learning. I'm just wondering how much the students are actually learning. In the article, a student said, you can't just import lectures into VR and expect to have good results. We're not creating a 3D model viewer for looking at artifacts or to tour an existing site. We're trying to build an immersive educational experience. And students need to feel that they're actually engaged in excavating a cave. It's also important for them to look. It's also important for them to use realistic tools to accomplish the tasks at hand. But designing virtual tools for an archaeological dig is tricky. A lot of the challenge has to do with the trade-off between making something as realistic as possible versus making something more accessible to people. For example, the designers created a virtual tape measure that requires two hands to operate. But reading tiny measurements in the virtual world is problematic, so a pop-up screen shows the users the readout on the tape, which is cool. So it seems like with this experience, they've kind of thought of all the, the nicks and crannies and needing to use real realistic tools and yeah i can only imagine trying to read a measuring tape in vr because you're like so far up the ground or however tall you are and if it's on the ground or wherever it is like those numbers are going to be so small and also everyone's eyes are different and everyone's eyes in vr are even more different because i'm like everything's going to be the same projection and the same size for everyone else in the experience or in virtual reality and everyone has different eyes I wonder how it affects other people I mean I don't wear glasses so I can't talk about glass use glasses use in VR it's hard (laughs) it doesn't work too well (laughs) something else that they were doing was simulating dirt that students can modify in real time I feel like that would just be so difficult. And the student that was being interviewed, Meryl, said that it was very computationally complex because the team, because I can only just like imagine the the physics needed in order to do that in the virtual reality experience. That'd be a lot. But I guess the team came up with a solution that allows students to extract their dirt in chunks that reflect the light in a realistic manner. The design also incorporates haptic feedback so that students can feel the solidity and texture of the dirt when making contact. I want to do this experience. I'm going to go join the University of Illinois and I just want to I just want to take this course because I want to (laughs) observe. In the article, the professors were saying that there's less instructions in providing multiple scenarios, so it's possible different teams of students will experience different things. I wish I could just be a fly on the wall in the class and learn about what and how they're teaching the students what to do. What is your opinion about this course replacing this university's field school? So is it completely replacing or it's an alternative to also a field school? I think it it could take place as the field school requirement for this university. Like they have a field school requirement. So then you can go off to do a field school or you can take this course. First of all, I think it's awesome that 
they have something within the university because uh, my school didn't have that. We had to find like an external thing to fill mm-hmm. that requirement. Well, it wasn't a requirement for the major or anything, but just a requirement for being an archaeologist in general. But I think that's cool. I I really like that they have alternatives to be all-inclusive because I don't think a lot of places do necessarily think of that yet. I think we're getting better at it. But yeah, I think it's hard to find alternatives that like actually count towards what you need to do like naturally without you trying to like apply for it and fight for it counting you know yeah it's like already set up to have it count one thing that's cool about this is that it's available during the school year and so you can just have it be applied be what part of your units and you don't have to take any extra time you don't have to go away somewhere for six to four, four to six weeks yeah, that's you don't awesome. have to spend like all this money just pay with it for tuition and it fills your requirement for the university. And then I guess you have to go and actually do a real experience in most cases for archaeology work. But I mean, it's pretty cool that they know students don't have all the time in the world like people think they do. And some students are like working two different jobs, doing an internship and trying to be at school full time and just can't just drop everything to go travel for three months yeah gonna go dig a hole I'm gonna go dig a hole I'm gonna go quit my job because I can do that even though I have my own place and I pay my own rent and pay my bills because I'm on my own it's (laughs) like I I don't know what people think students have all this time for it's like maybe like 20 years ago It's so interesting, or it's, I guess it kind of sucks, but it's interesting how like archaeology is a field where you don't get a whole lot of money to begin with, and yet it's so expensive to do. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that just kind of, that's a thought that came into my head. It's annoying. (laughs) Yeah. Having this sort of experience seems like it's one of the first to have an actual course doing this. I think it's making good strides. And this article about it was pasted, it was posted in February. And I could, oh my gosh, that was right before everything closed down with the pandemic. So I'm only assuming that this is more beneficial, even Even more so. Yeah. It's like, okay, class, we'll meet in VR. Bye. Because we were going to do that anyway. (laughs) That's nice. But then again, how do they give the students the VR headsets of at their own house unless oh did, true unless they put like plexiglass around the room or something but also but, you can go into vr without a headset right you can just do desktop stuff no no I no thought, not with vr i thought with like vr chat and stuff you could yes. do oh, okay so it depends on the the thing yeah the vr chat is both both web-based and vr-based and it was mainly vr-based but they know their clientele, and so this mm. free game is also available on desktop. Makes sense. But not most most VR games are not available like that. That was this experience for this university that I am liking what I'm seeing. And so when we come back, we're going to talk about a different experience from Emotive after this break. This last part, I just kind of went off about the University of Illinois because I thought that was really cool. Since the article was published so recently, I guess it wasn't so recent anymore because it was February. I mean, it's only March 320. 
It's the 320th day of March, yes. Precisely. <laughs> Precisely <laughs> the same the exact day. So this time I'm going to be going more into the emotive VR experience. And before I start doing that, I will explain what emotive is. Emotive is an EU-funded research project that works from the premise that cultural sites are highly emotional places, that regardless of age, location, or state of preservation, they are seedbeds not just of knowledge, but of emotional resonance and human connection. From 2016 to 2019, the Emotive Concernum has researched, designed, developed, and evaluated methods and tools that can support the cultural and creative industries in creating narratives and experiences which draw on the power of emotional storytelling. The output of this process is a number of prototype tools and applications for heritage professionals and visitors that produce interactive, personalized, emotionally resonant digital experiences for museums and cultural sites. So basically with emotive, it's emotional storytelling for cultural heritage. And so with emotive, the name... It's supposed to be emotion, you know, like their little logo is a little heart. It's adorable. Love it. Love what they do. Love to see it. So for this particular experience, it's with a VR experience in Shadowhoyuk. And I'm just going to read what they have on their website because that's better than me just trying to remember off the top of my head. I should have talked to Ian about emotive. I wonder if he knows anything about it. Ooh, Probably. I wonder. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. He's got it, right? I would assume so, especially with Shadowhoyuk and having an EU-funded project. Hmm. Okay. Through multi-user virtual reality experience, participants are taken on a collaborative adventure through the UNESCO Neolithic site of Shadowhoyuk. This experience fosters interaction and emotional learning between pairs of individuals who are tasked with enacting forms of care. Together, participants engage with some of the social practices once common at Shadowhoyuk from artistic expression of group identity to home repair and burial customs. The experience invites participants to reflect on human relatedness across time and space and to think more deeply about our impact on the world. So with the Emotive VR experience, this was partially coming out of the University of York where we did our master's. Several of our colleagues were working with the Emotive project, doing different forms of storytelling with cultural heritage, like some were making like little molds with clays and getting the emotional response of that. One of our colleagues was someone who we interviewed near the beginning of the podcast, Kristen O'Connor. <laughs> I don't know why I almost said Chenowick. <laughs> why did that name come? <laughs> Kristen O'Connor. And she helped with the emotive VR experience. Within that episode, she just explained a little bit of what she was doing in a paper that she was getting ready to be published with a part of the project. With this experience, they have gone in, made 3D models of the site of one of the households and put that into VR. Now, the VR experience itself with the design was not created by people at the University of York. It was created by Grant Cox from the Instagram handle is art as media. And if you just look at his social media, there's so many 3D models and recreations. They're beautiful. Oh my gosh. So this particular world that was built was created by him with the emotive project, with the emotive team. I was able to finally do the experience at the University of Glasgow because they had this whole experience happening at the Hunitarian Museum as a part of the university. And so 
the University of Glasgow and York joined together to show their different emotive projects. And so I was finally able to do it because they were doing little test runs at the University of York, but I never got the chance to do it. So I was finally able to do the project at the University of Glasgow and I put my name on the thing. I was able to see people doing the experience. Remember the times when we were actually able to be next to other people? Uh, love it. I miss those times. I miss people. And so you're looking at this part of the room. They, I'm not too sure what their distance was between the people and like the actual space that they had out. Probably like a good 12 feet diameter, just in case people start going around. So the front has these, this table with two computers on it just to operate the VR experience and watch what's going on for the people in the experience, the users. Two people that go into the experience, you can either know the other person or you don't know the other person. In my case, I did not know the other person. We met right before we were put into this virtual experience. And so we did our like little like greetings like, oh, hi. And we're getting explained of what to do and how to use VR and all that stuff. And we got put into this VR experience and we see our like outlines of our bodies and we use these masks to portray who we are. Once we choose our mask, we put it on our face. That's how we distinguish ourselves from one another. And there's only two of us. And we're talking in the game to each other. And in order to progress, you have to give each other high fives. So you give somebody, you give the other player a high five, and then you can go on to like the next room or the next task. And you use like little stamps and you stamp up the wall, you put your handprints on the wall and you do all these like communal activities with the other person. And you're just like interacting with them. You're having fun. You're laughing. At least I was laughing. She was laughing. We're having a jolly old time. And then at the end of the experience, you give your other user a high five and then you get taken out of the experience. After the experience happened, we gave each other a real high five <laughs> because that's just how it should go, you know? You're giving like this person you may or may not know, like all these like virtual high fives. So of course, like when you're done, you just want to give them a high five in real life. And I guess that was the first wow. time some of the people watching saw that happen Aww. in real life. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. It was that's fun. Sweet. Yeah, and so I really enjoyed this virtual reality experience because not only did it put, did it put you back into this into this room that's already been excavated and they're not trying to fully recreate how it once was, but they're trying to show you and give you a, an emotional connection to the culture and how people were living and giving you educational debriefs of what was done and how you're supposed to use some things in order to progress, like, of course, you can use, like, these stamps for other things. You can probably stamp your own body in real life. But in the game, you have to stamp the wall and, like, do things on the wall, pick up artifacts and do all this stuff. And I just thought that the way that it was actually designed was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And I would love to see this in Steam, which is what I think that they're thinking about doing or what they're intending on doing is putting this out to the public for public to use. And when they were doing these experiences at the University of York, they were putting people from the campus to the other team in France and putting people together over just the internet, totally different rooms, different countries. Well, I mean, you're on an island and then you're on a, the continent. <laughs> so it's like just showing the distance that you can be and being able to communicate with somebody who may not speak your language 
and being able to progress and establish this bond with this random person, which is what they're doing. And what they're trying to do, I think, was connect somebody who spoke English and somebody who only spoke French together so that they would only be able to uh, continue by trying to learn each other's mannerisms in virtual reality because like you can't see facial features or real movements you just see these virtual blobs just moving around and you're like okay now what and then you try to motion in the ways that you can and it's cool because it's archaeology but it can also go into anthropological observations i'm excited to see things that they end up doing. And if they continue, I haven't heard from them for a while, except for the paper that was going to be published or starting to be published like in March or whenever Kristen said. I don't uh, remember. It's yeah, been, it's remember been a hot minute. I'm looking forward to it. And I think with this type of experience, as well as the University of Illinois and how they're having a virtual experience as well, it's getting more, it's getting more, um, more ready player one Let's get more Ready Player One. Let's go. <laughs> no, it's oh, getting no. more use and reputation. That is just not, you're just playing a video game. You're not doing anything. You're actually like learning though. And you're having fun. Because some people like may just not want to go and get dirty. <laughs> no, kidding. Me. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's still dirt under my nail beds from work and... No, I'm kidding. My, yeah. my nails are all clean. I will be right back after this break. Welcome back. Hi. So these are just two experiences that I thought would be cool to share that were not specifically gaming related, but more virtual reality archaeology experience related, where they're trying to create a site to learn and interact with other users as well as continuing to gain information about the site and have fun while you're doing it. I mean, I don't know how fun the classroom is, but I'm assuming that must be a pretty lit class, though. Especially for people who have, like, never interacted with archaeology before. Right. Very neat. Yeah. That is, I don't know, it's pretty cool. I want (laughs) to... And with the Emoto Project, that's just cool to me that... There's a project that's based out of like a few different countries. I think it was England, France, and Greece is where people that were part of the project kept having to go, as well as Turkey for Shadowhoyuk. And then I think 2018 was the last summer that they went to Shadowhoyuk. I'm not entirely too sure. Because I know in 2019 they did not go. The ability to be able to record data and use data to create these sites from sites that have already been excavated, like the cave in the 1930s, and just go in and take photos, make a site out of it. Sorry, not a site, but a 3D model out of it to be explored in VR. And being able to create this experience with things that are in existence and simulation, like with the dirt and the tools and the mimicking of real objects. I mentioned this before, but when I was in Bulgaria, we were taking photogrammetric models of every single layer on the site. I think if any other archaeological site were to do such a thing, having these sort of VR experiences would be really cool for students, for people just interested in archaeology and being able to do it 
on their own, in their own house, in VR, or on desktop if people just don't have the means to get a VR headset. Because who has like $400 laying around? It would be cool to be able to create an experience with this data that's already in existence for people to look at. Not just to be sitting on somebody's hard drive for the rest of eternity because it's like, okay, I published one paper about it, time to move on. And then forget all about all of the data that was collected. I think it, it would be a good learning experience for people going in, looking at each layer, seeing what there is to see, and start digging. Even if they're digging in the wrong spot or if they're in the right spot, it's helping them visualize where things are because as you're digging down each layer, you can see objects, you can see you can see features of the site in a more prevalent prevalent light because once you start kind of like seeing something, you start digging a little bit around it, near it to make it pop out more before you just start digging it out fully. So those are my hot takes for this part. So this is part two. If you guys have any suggestions on what you would like me to talk about for part three, let me know. Leave some comments in the DMs. We haven't upgraded our Instagram in a while. It's like when I go on Instagram, I just like go on the front page. I kind of scroll down two different posts and then I look through like two or three Instagram stories and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Me too. And then that's all for the day. The archaeology part three will be coming. Yeah, just let me know if you'd like me to go over anything go into more experiences showing what else is there that's available either gaming related or experience based related because that's what i'm going to keep doing (laughs) so as we are recording this on the 25th of november Alyssa, you're done with your first term quarter almost you have your paper but you're done with like your major classes yes you just have the paper and then we have a holiday coming up what are some of your major plans for your break? Ooh, I am getting a new tattoo. <laughs> Ooh, I'm super excited about it. I just had my first consultation over Zoom um, yesterday with like the first sketch of it. And it's going to be two Shisa dogs, which are Okinawan tradition to have sitting outside your house to like ward off bad spirits and keep in good spirits. And we've just... I've grown up with them all around the house um, since I can remember, and they've just been a big part. I thought of it like two weeks ago, and I was like, I need this on my body. And so then I (laughs) made an appointment. (laughs) But yeah, I'm getting that. We have it scheduled for the 17th of December. So that's so exciting. I'm excited excited to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the artist based out of? SF. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Ooh, so that's so cool. exciting. Yay. I'm excited. Yay. What about you? Uh, I came down to Southern California about last week um, to help my family out with some things that were happening. And then I'm just like, well, I'm just going to stay through the holiday. And I'm supposed to go back up to Sacramento next week if I do have work because I got an email blast about a lot of projects. And I was like, yes, please. Here's my availability. And so they're just like, okay, we'll keep you in mind. And I'm like, please use me. It's like three hours away from my house in Sacramento. So mm. it's it's a, it's a long Where drive. It? It's, I don't know. So it's or east. In the hills. Yes. Nice. But before that, I was thinking of maybe just staying in Southern California. 
just for the holidays through through December as well. Just because of like how bad COVID's getting, like I'm not seeing like anybody, but I might as well be with family. Yeah, and especially because they keep talking about potential stay-at-home orders. Mm. I know that's county by county, but it's like, okay, I'd rather be stuck. Stuck there with family. Stuck with family than by myself where I can't leave or do anything. True. So I'm just like, oh, I'd rather be here. Yeah, it's been nice being with family and just hanging out. That's about it. I don't really have anything planned. Yeah, same. I'm trying not to plan anything. I know. It's hard. Yeah. Don't want to be one of those people. We're thinking about maybe doing like a beach thing, just like not with people. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Catch us on the flip side of Thanksgiving. Hopefully there's not, there is going to be a big spike, but hopefully we are not part of that. Um, Hopefully Mm -hmm. you are not part of that Mm -hmm. and wishing everyone safe existence (laughs) stay safe stay sane and talk to you guys later bye everyone later bye this show is produced by the archaeology podcast network chris webster and tristan boyle in reno nevada at the reno collective this has been a presentation of the archaeology podcast network Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.